Hello and welcome to the Watermark Surge International Podcast on Agile Leadership Lessons. On this podcast, we discuss leadership trends with experienced leaders on what is working, what isn't, and how we can all improve as a leadership cohort. At Watermark Surge, we are very interested in leadership agility. How do leaders and leadership teams respond to events that weren't in the business plan? It's our belief that those leadership teams that have higher agility will be able to better respond. At Watermark, we are advocates of the for-purpose sector. Not only do we contribute as a firm, but we also appoint many executives in for-purpose entities. Today, we've invited three leaders from some of Australia's best-known for-purpose entities to share some of their experiences. Colin Seary, CEO of Lifeline, Judy Sladia, most recently the CEO of the Australian Red Cross, and Susanna Lebron, CEO of the Y in New South Wales, which was formerly known as the YMCA. I'm David Evans, Managing Partner of Watermark Search. Judy, let's start with you. As CEO of the Red Cross in 2020, we had those horrendous bushfires. And just as the fires started to slow down and cleanup efforts increased, we had COVID headed our way. How did you and your team adapt to what was thrown at you? I can remember that time very well. Um, we had, yes, we're in, in January um, and the bushfires were still wreaking havoc in communities, the impact of the fires. We'd been supporting hundreds of evacuation centres. We'd had volunteers in helicopters evacuating people on ships. We'd had incredible trauma across five states and people in real trouble. And then at the end of January, I was uh, with my team and I said, folks, I think we need to get ready for a pandemic. And the looks of belief around the table of disbelief, um, I just thought, whoa, because actually responding to Black Summer was a massive exercise for us. Red Cross is the, the biggest, impact, most impactful fire Australia had had impact in the most people. So we, we actually sat down and did a quick assessment of what could happen. So obviously not just lots, hundreds of thousands of people in trouble for their most basic needs, uh, but also, you know, donations dropping off. So Red Cross challenged by its own sustainability issues through to, you know, 50% uh, of our 30,000 volunteers over the age of uh, 60. So therefore at risk, all of our staff at risk, all of these sort of things. So once we got ahead around what could have happened in a pandemic, because it hadn't been declared, we then agreed on several core principles that we would use to lead the organisation through, through the pandemic, and they have held the test of time. So I thought I'd just tell you what those principles are, because we found them incredibly helpful. So the first was focus absolutely on why we exist, which is to support people through tough times but at the same time be fully accountable for Red Cross's destiny through the uncertain times ahead. Be calm, thoughtful, measured, while also being able to adapt and pivot. Give clarity and certainty where we could, but be honest where we couldn't. Be there and present for our people. Listen well, be calm, be careful when wording emails, provide a lot of praise. Be flexible when partners lose their jobs, elderly relatives and children need care, friends and family get sick. And finally, look after each other, acknowledge your own pressures, challenges and feelings and be there for each other. 
And we had those as our sort of secure base, if you like. And I'm so pleased we did that because it infiltrated absolutely everything we did. Um, it was an incredibly full on time and it still will be for those at Red Cross and those going through uh, the lockdowns. But through the year, we ultimately ended up having our biggest ever deployment of services since World War II and needing literally every single hand on deck to do it. Um, so Red Cross people were amazing as they always are, just incredible humanitarians. Uh, but yeah, it really took some clear principles to help guide us. Yeah, it's one of the things we've been looking at in you know, leadership agility, those aspects that make that up. Um, teamwork, collaboration is a big part of it, but also anticipating change. How do we get ready for these things? Colin, when you joined Lifeline, there was a huge transformation you went on and then the volume of activity to your organisation has increased. You, I'm sure you'll tell us the amount, but how did you evolve? How did you adapt and how did you get your team through it? Yeah, thanks, David. Look, I guess similar to, to Judy in the Red Cross Lifeline, we had the, I guess, the double whammy of the, um, you know, the bushfire type, uh, the season, and then the, the pandemic on top. And just to give you an idea of, um, uh, I guess, the impact from a service point of view, typically pre-December 2019, Lifeline would have somewhere around 2,400 calls to the main crisis support service. Um, on the bushfires, that increased by 10 to 15%. Uh, and then with the pandemic, it's gone up 30%. So up over 3,100 contacts a day. And that's remained actually as we, uh, and as we're doing this, we're, uh, we're in another lockdown and we're there again. I guess, David, for us, um, the transformation program, as you mentioned, we were, we were part way through that. Uh, March last year, when COVID hit, we thought it was going to be the perfect storm um, for us, uh, a bit like, again, Red Cross's situation, but we knew there was going to be increased demand. We had workforce challenges, you know, how in lockdown, uh, how do we get workforce to our contact centres? And, and there are also financial implications that a lot of our member centres do the traditional fundraising so we have 250 retail shops around the country the uh, lifeline book fairs etc so it was the perfect storm and i i guess from just looking from a leadership perspective probably that on reflection david a couple of the key changes uh, in my world i guess was that um, we have quite a complex uh, stakeholder engagement or engagement uh, framework. And um, I'd like to think traditionally, I'm sort of a consultative leader uh, in that regard, but really when things happened in March, it was more of a crash through approach, to be honest. So what we needed to do uh, in, in terms of some initiatives that would typically take 12 months to work through, business continuity processes, et cetera, we were able to get those up in three weeks. So. What it did in terms of moving forward, I guess, was create this bit of a change of culture in relation to um, we can actually do these things quickly if needed. And that's been, that's been really helpful moving forward. And I think, uh, again, a bit on, you know, like Judy's scenario with our staff, probably from my perspective, being more 
really involved with, um, you know, with a lot of individuals we knew and know people that in the organization that were really struggling themselves. Um, and so just being, you know, being there, being pretty open uh, myself about the situation as well. Um, not from an organisational point of view, but personally, I don't enjoy working from home, and, and just being you know, taking the mask off, I guess, and uh, and dealing with uh, as many people individually as we could to get us through. And um, um, I guess Lifeline was never needed more, and, and never never performed better in a sense in terms of the service. So. Uh, it was a challenging period, but one I think will stand us in good stead moving forward. It's Colin. Yeah, it's been an immense period for you and your team. Um, and we're going to pass over to Susanna. You know, your your entity that you lead has gone through similar sort of changes. How how have you guys adapted to it? Well, firstly, I just want to thank both Judy and Colin because. Um, your efforts have ensured that Australians have had constant support and access to critical support. And I can only imagine how that has a personal impact to both of you of managing through that time in your team. So just a big thanks from me. The why is probably slightly different in that we don't normally play in crisis. And so for us, it was quite a remarkable and confronting change to actually be what we see ourselves as a constant in community through normal state to actually be thrust into an environment of crisis which directly impacted more than half of my organisation and we have over 64% of our people are under age of 25 employed by the Y. So I was experiencing it from that lens but also realising that from an organisational point of view we weren't used to we handling a crisis environment. Um, we'd handled quite well the bushfires and the flooding and being connected to those communities, especially up in the coastal areas up north. And so we were part of that community. Uh, but moving forward, what I could see was the decision making, similar to what Colin said about crashing through. I personally am a collaborator. I do like to have people involved in a process. I'm non-hierarchical. And I felt that I had to personally change my normal traits and my normal skills and really park them to be on pace and adapting to the challenges that were emerging and finding the relevance of how the Y could support its communities in a crisis when, as I said, we weren't normally in that position. So for me, it was actually pushing back on my natural instinct. I do feel that the investment you make when you're outside of crisis means that when you're in crisis or in a very different operating model and serving communities enables you to be absolutely supportive but also relevant because people have had that relationship previously. So I think part of um, us adapting was leveraging off the relationships that were already formed in our communities and with our local councils and other partners that do amazing work in communities and at pace apply that different change of leadership to actually deliver services and be relevant to the community. So um, I, I, as I knew this would happen in the podcast, I'm writing these notes as Judy and Colin are talking about their journey. And the other one that I think was fantastic is actually pausing Judy to recognise that there needed to be some guidelines, some principles that you were going to apply. We did that during the crisis. So part of that was to stay connected with what was happening, but also 
be in like a drone sort of environment and think, well, how can I stay above here to keep looking at the future? Because it would have been really easy for me to have been drawn down. And so personally, it was making sure that I was staying connected at the local level, but also pulling myself back up and pushing myself forward rather than feeling my instinct was to be down there linking arms and actually staying in the moment. I, I had to personally pull myself up and out um, to stay you know, connected with where we're going. Susanna, we're hearing some key themes here around this connection, you know, connection with your team, connection with the organization's purpose. So a couple of bits in this for me is the, the strategies and then the tactics. And so Judy, I might ask you around how you got through some of your team, got through some challenging times, but some of the tactics, some of the day-to-day -day things that you came up with that helped you and your team get through these Intense moments. Yeah, and, and like Colin and Susanna, I can only imagine what it would be like to have to shift into a different mode completely. So congratulations. Um, but like Colin, we were establishing, uh, for even from the bushfires, because they were so massive, we were establishing new call centres, we were establishing new, new systems, the ability to connect with um, people who are in trouble from anywhere in Australia to anywhere in Australia, which uh, sounds a bit weird. We were having to shift all of our international work to be able to support remotely. Uh, so all of these uh, innovations were happening real time. Uh, and so one of the things we did, and I'll come to a couple of others, one of the things we did was we had been working to embed agile ways of working and project management throughout the organisation. And we just decided we were going to take the risk to go full on agile. So we had uh, absolutely agile approach across the organisation. Um, still, still like Colin and Susanna, you know, we had to, as a, as a leadership team, we had to be quite directive as what was going to happen. But the how we got there was, was really uh, delegated with a cross organisational working approach. So for example, we needed all hands on deck. We really, really needed all hands on deck. So within the space of two weeks, we'd launched what we call Red Tasker so that anybody in the organisation could put in their extra skills and capabilities beyond their traditional jobs to see what we could leverage. It was just amazing. We um, set up the, I had two sessions each week with all, anyone who wanted to join, all 2,000 staff, 30,000 volunteers, uh, which originally started as just a very open two-way communication, but eventually became, or not eventually, quickly became, oh, well, this is this person's doing this in Alice Springs. Maybe it could work in Dubbo. Um, so this exchange of knowledge where previously, we'd, you know, like everyone struggled to figure out how the most efficient way to exchange knowledge, but actually with online tools was great. We, um, we really leveraged things like mirror boards where we could get best access to people's brains really, really fast. Plus also the one, the most compelling moment I remember of the switch between the bushfires and COVID was, was um, late January, we had, luckily we have space at the Red Cross uh, sort of head office, so to speak. We had created call centers, we had, it was buzzing. So the whole place was buzzing and it was full um, with all things related to the bushfires. We had a board meeting, the board meeting members went around to thank people because uh, of the incredible jobs they were doing. And then within the space of about three weeks, I was still in the office, I went back to that place and it was completely empty and quiet. But it was still happening. We managed to get 
all of our services, except for those that were really non-essential, which is not many of our services, online and working remotely. It was just, when you think back about it, it was just incredible what those Red Cross people did. And, um, and now, of course, that's a good mode of operation going forward. So the, you know, the, the migrant support hub in, um, in northern New South Wales realised that actually they could reach many more people. So it's still very important to have the house base that they have, uh, but now could reach many more people. So this mix of virtual and, and physical service is now, you know, become part of the way we work. And that would have taken years to transition if it hadn't been for COVID. So in that context, our role as a leadership group was how do we support that innovation? How do we give air to it? How do we, how do we really go to that, you know, the traditional motherhood of, you know, try and fail fast? How do we really ramp up what's working like Red Tasker? Um, how do we quickly, swiftly shift resources and emphasis uh, behind what was most needed for those in trouble? How do we build partnerships? So to get the number of meals out there, how we, we rapidly built, I think 16 to 17 new partnerships so that together we were collective uh, providing meals. Um, so yeah, it was just amazing that level of innovation and how it came to the fore. The one thing we did have to do though, is we, we um, introduced what was called a velvet hammer because Red Cross people are just so passionate. They will not stop. And uh, so for our own care for ourselves, we gave a couple of uh, the HR team, the, the, Velvet Hammer and they watched the entire organisation and they could go and dong anyone and that person had to take four days off, just not negotiable, had to take. Uh, and then we introduced a couple of organisational wide long weekends where everyone down tooled, uh, down to tools. And I mean, unless it was, a, you know, the really front end of things. So we also, while there was this great buzz and innovation and excitement, there was incredible pressure. So we had to introduce a pressure valve and the, the velvet hammer uh, was really good. I got donged a couple of times. I was like, no, I can't go. <laughs> yes, you can, four days. Yeah. And having worked with you, Judy, I can see why you might've been donged on some of those <laughs> occasions. Um, but there's some great tips in there and how we can all use and watch out for each other in, in our teams. Colin, how, how are you applying what you've learned to, to how your team are responding today? Yeah, well, I'm interested in the velvet hammer concept. That's a good one, Judy. We might, uh, we might introduce that as well. Look, I guess the, you know, the, the tactical scenarios that, that we played out, David, were, were a bit similar in that um, just very quickly developing that remote working capability, both for the actual service. I guess there's two components to Lifeline is the, you know, the amazing volunteers that are answering the phones around the country to our, our people in our, our national office. So um, again, really pushing through technological change and um, change management processes that I mentioned earlier would take a significant amount of time through a very complex network uh, happened very quickly. Um, in terms of supporting both our volunteers and staff, we, you know, communication was the key for us. We, there were the amount of meetings at different levels. We had daily, the chair, the vice chair, myself, the exec would meet every day during that period, um, sort of a war room or a cabinet to work through. We would 
um, the chair and I would host, um, you know, get-togethers with the volunteers where they could ask questions, etc. Uh, we had the opportunity with some of our great corporate supporters to, you know, get gifts out, uh, etc. Um, we also had to monitor very carefully um, the, amount, the amount of work being done. I think with all of our organisations, Susanna, Judy and myself, we, we don't have problems um, saying to our people, our purpose, our reason for being. And I think as leaders, we're very, very fortunate um, in relation to that. And, and sometimes that can just continue on and go too far. So it, is, it was that, that interesting um, combination of uh, this imperative we had. I mean, you know, our work is literally life and death uh, at some time, so we need to get it right. And that was the interesting balance about how far we push. Um, we also, do, we work in a, an agile framework, but how far do we go and what risk did we, were we prepared to take um, to deal with the demand we needed to do with the workforce where it was. So I think in, in summary, David, in, in our world, um, what it did own, what did it, it has opened up is, is arguably a more innovative approach in the way we do things. Um, and as we sit here now, literally the last couple of days have been exactly the same with the latest lockdown. Thanks, Colin. Susanna. How are well, you applying when you learned? Well, first of all, I'm going to apply moving forward a velvet hammer because I think that's a fantastic <laughs> suggestion. That's a beauty, I reckon. <laughs> it's, a, yeah. it's great. Um, to, to, I think, the points that are already made, you know, where you had those obstacles in place around what you thought you could do and how you could do it, they all went out the window. And it was, you know, that risk element did stay in the back of my mind. It wasn't like I was going rogue, but I absolutely opened up the floodgates to move at pace. What I think has been tremendous is the embracing of virtual interaction. And I know that we often feel fatigued when doing mm. it, but it, this is the only option that we have to remain connected. And so we have to master it. And I think we've done a tremendous job in our different fields to keep that. I'm extremely proud of our connection with our young people that work for us and our young people that we connect through in terms of the different services and programs that we offer. I was nervous about could we still maintain that amazing impact moving from face to face to virtual because as you all know you know when you're out on the front line and you're having those connections they are pretty special and they they drive that really amazing outcome but to shift that virtually i was nervous but i have been so proud by reviewing some of those outcomes measurements that we've been able to tap into just really high level that we've actually probably done better than what we were seeing face to face. The reach has been unbelievable. The ability for our people to connect more at more occasions, more times has meant that the services are there, you know, nearly 24 seven. So I'm now seeing a model that we will keep in place moving forward and it will complement what we were doing pre-crisis. So that's been an amazing learning. Probably something else that I wouldn't mind touching on is I often want to look at everything holistically. These crises forced me to go back into a style that I wasn't really wanting to embrace, which was looking at individual areas and components of my business because everyone was experiencing things differently. 
So reminding myself not to actually go big in enterprise on this occasion, and even today in lockdown, is to remind myself that every part of the business and the people associated that with that business and the clients and customers and communities connected to that business are all experiencing it very differently. So that, again, is probably a model that we will start to introduce moving forward, that it isn't just one look, which is like we want it really neat and holistic, that we need to remind ourselves that there are some still some um, you know, idiosyncrasies that we need to go back in uh, off the back of a crisis to remind ourselves, actually, there is some uniqueness there that we need to make uh, you know, particular attention to. So yeah, that's probably the, the whole virtual piece and innovation was just crack on and it's absolutely going to be part of our model moving forward. David, could I, could I just jump in and share um, something that, um, that, that we're, you know, we've all been talking about um, I think how our organisations adapted and it was all great, etc. One area that we're um, struggling in, to be frank, I think you mentioned at the start of Lifeline, we've been through a really big transformation program and that involves shutting down offices around the country and everyone centralising into, into Sydney in terms of the national office. And um, so our average tenure is one year and two months. So if you can do the maths on that, you can work out where people started. So one of the interesting challenges over the last period, whilst we've all been going through this remote world and, um, and crisis, et cetera, is where uh, I'd say we're still struggling, to be honest, to, to work out how do we develop in this remote world when um, literally on Wednesday this week was going to be the first time we were all together. How do we build that culture of this is the way we do things around here, this is the way we want to do it. So that's just a really interesting leadership challenge for us when pretty much everyone's brand new and some people we literally haven't met face to face but that's the world we're in at the moment but just a really interesting challenge for us so colin i i had a few moments last year where there were definitely people that had joined our organization that i'd only met through these little square boxes <laughs> and something funny i'd turn up and they'd like oh, you're a lot shorter than I thought you were. Yeah, <laughs> so there'd be exactly. these moments of realisation. There's, you know, a bit more to the to the head than... Um... Yeah. Well, it's just <laughs> but... really interesting, isn't it, how we do it moving forward. If that is, I mean, the reality mm. is, you know, the flexible workplace is, it's not going to be part of the future. It's, well, it's what it is now. And then if, uh, how, how, how do we build that, that mm. culture in the brave new world is a really interesting one for me. Mm. I, um, I found where I was able to with the health guidelines and the opportunities and not obviously current lockdown in Sydney or Greater Sydney, but I would meet and we'd go for a walk in the local park if we mm. were both able to do that um, yep. and just try to build that personal connection yeah. in the midst of a crisis. So when we got back to our little boxes on the screen, there was something there yeah. um, where possible I tried to do that. Yeah, I think it's great. And look at that, I think as we touched earlier, that personal touch has become really important. And, and, and I don't say this in a it's not a hierarchical thing, but perhaps individuals that necessarily would engage with at that depth yep. in, our, in, the, you know, in the previous world, um, it's just become critically important, mm. I think. Yeah, yep. I completely agree with that. Mm. And, and I also wanted to say, David, that um, I really want to emphasise there's so much I could have done better in hindsight, but, um, and, you know, nothing was perfect. And I think like, 
like Colin and Susanna, we have these risk guardrails of, mm. first of all, you know, how do you support as many Australians as possible and those in the uh, Pacific and Southeast Asia for Red Cross, but equally, how do you do no harm? So, you know, there's two mm. extreme guidelines on risk that you're trying to navigate through. And when you're rapidly changing services and approaches, you can actually do harm. So you have to have that sort of mm. uh, uh, really sharp eye on doing no harm. But I mean, I'm sure like Colin, Susanna, the people at Red Cross are just incredible. And, I, you know, as I'm thinking about it, I'm seeing their faces and what they were doing to keep within those guardrails, but at the same time do amazing, amazing things. It's just incredible. And, and that, actually gives you a real personal buzz watching incredible yeah. humanitarians do great work. Yeah, I agree, Judy. I mean, it's just extraordinary. I think um, we, we got, um, I guess, classified as an essential service so the volunteers yeah. could, could physically go out. But, you know, a bit like yourself, um, you know, the, the army came to, the, <laughs> to, our, to, to save us. I mean, it was just extraordinary. And, um, and, and a number of you know mature people as, mm. as crisis supporters were, were willing to put their health at risk to mm. to help the mental health of Australians. And it is, it's just, it's it's absolutely uplifting. It's it's just extraordinary. Well, we had people who, because we're calling for anyone who wants to call, we were calling anyone in, in quarantine and every day and just for a chat. And then we had several people who had been in quarantine and found it so helpful, they came to volunteer to be able to do it uh, for others, you know, so it was just incredible. Yeah, yeah we're lucky, aren't we? On behalf of all Australians, thank you all for the teams that you lead and all the volunteers out there. It's greatly appreciated and, and we need you in our community, so thank you. And personally, I'd like to thank Colin Seary, the CEO of Lifeline, Judy Sladia, most recently the CEO of the Australian Red Cross, and Susanna Lebron, the CEO of the Y in New South Wales. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. Thank you very much. That concludes the podcast. I hope you've enjoyed listening to the leaders sharing their experiences. If you're interested in hearing more, please subscribe and stay tuned to our publications from Watermark Search International.